Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chattanooga. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Roy Kiesling, who will explore EMDR from an attachment-based perspective. And now your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Do you think that there are specific cognitions that are often present uh, for someone that that maybe has a, a avoidance dismissing attachment style or preoccupied or or what are what are any of your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I want to reframe beliefs are a little different than cognitions. I think mm-hmm. cognitions are your own concept of self. I think core beliefs are pervasive. Yes, and you can trace those back to early childhood and I think when you start looking at attachment styles that will give you a hint about how they adapted yeah uh, and so if I if I had to be perfect or I couldn't depend upon a parent then I could become ambivalent uh, or avoidant or if I have very it's dangerous and I constantly getting mixed messages uh, I'm going to feel vulnerable and powerless and helpless that could get could lead to disorganized attachment or you could see disorganized attachment could lead to powerless helpless uh, so I think you can look at the present, you know, the present symptoms and yes. kind of start to, to get a cluster of, of core uh, beliefs. Yes. Uh, Very and, good. And, uh, good clarification. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think I always look at one of the models is the more dominant and more irrational the core belief is suggests the earlier it starts. And I'm sure you show a lot of people uh, some of the attachment studies from Ainsworth and 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 Tronic and and there's one I always show of the Tronic still face where that infant is interacting with uh, her mother and then the mom's told just to be flat and within moments that that young that infant is totally just falling apart and terrified because the lack of response from a caregiver means I'm not going to exist uh-huh. so we really have the more dramatic the symptoms suggest very early onset. Uh, many of which are in implicit memory and they're at survival level. You know, if, if I'm defective or I'm unimportant or I'm invisible or if I'm flawed or if I don't matter, that's life and death to an infant. If I don't matter, I don't exist. Uh, and therefore, I have to figure out either how to matter or make sure that I'm not rejected. So that avoidant ambivalent, the avoidant might be I just have to stop feeling, I have to stop emoting because I can't upset my, my primary caregivers, because if I do, they'll leave me. Uh, and therefore, I have to shut down and, and turn it all around. So I think it all works itself in <coughs> that way. And core beliefs are going to be the felt sense of what's happening and not the cognitions. Uh, it's more of a felt sense. And so that's why I, I go, don't necessarily talk about cognition so much as helping clients develop these core, core essence of self. And they're, they're pervasive. And once you have one, you see, like you said earlier, we, we see our, our life, our view of life is distorted by that lens. If I felt worthless or unimportant in, in an infancy setting, I will see that more often than not. When somebody turns away from me, when something happens, I have that same emotional activation that I had as a past, and I'll be driven by those emotions over what I know to be true. Does our emotions really drive us? Yes. 
more than our thoughts and our experiences do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's a very important um, distinction and clarification that you made with that. I appreciate that. Um, so I also just getting back uh, more specifically to your work and, and your innovations. I, I know you have something called the uh, brief schema perspective, right? Is, is that yeah. the name? Yeah. And so could you explain that and then, you know, maybe share a little bit how you see that fitting into uh, the overall ideas within attachment theory? Sure. I, I think we, we look for um, what happens when the past is present is the starting point that comes from Shapiro that my responses now are re-manifestations of past emotional activations. So our task is to understand that. And that really differentiates the, between a cognition and a, and a core belief. A quick example, if you have a parent who comes in or a teenager who comes in with anger management problems and they yell and scream, their cognition is probably, I'm out of control, I'm bad, uh, something that is talking about their, their behavior. And what we want to look at from a core belief perspective from this theme is what caused you to lose control? What caused you to yell and scream? Well, so-and-so turned away from me. So-and-so dissed me in the, uh, and somebody cut in front of me in the lunchroom and I exploded. But what does it mean to you that that happened? I'm unimportant. I don't matter. I'm being betrayed. And now that's the core belief theme. Uh, and now we say, now let's talk about that neural network and let's identify where that came from. Let's talk about other times. So we really focus on the cause and not so much the symptom. Yeah. Uh, and that really is the essence of the core belief. And once you put language to that, it's much easier to trace that back than just to hear the, the feelings and the sensations. But once, once we name it, then it's how quickly we can put together, oh, I can remember this time and that time and that time and that time, uh, how quickly we can identify that. So we really build our plan. And EMDR is great because we process neural networks, both negative and positive. So it's terrific at identifying that very quickly and very succinctly about this is the theme that's happening uh, in, in your life. And it's being triggered here and here and here, but the emotions are always the same. So we can trace those back. We can also identify the adaptive system that you have or build it if you don't. And then we have these two neural networks lined up so that once we start therapy, we can start working with those. So even, even just putting together a, a sort of a neural network map or an outline of these two systems creates a, a wealth of information for any type of psychotherapy. We can understand the attachment issues, we can understand the trauma activations, we can understand your behaviors now, and start to figure out how we can change the, the activation, the flashbacks, mm -hmm. the emotional activations that cause you to be rageful, that right. cause you to have that, you know, because it's an old fight, flight, freeze response in all likelihood with the rage, I have to fight. I have to fight now. I couldn't fight when I was infant. I probably tried that once or twice, and then that, that didn't work. I realized I would get locked in my room, or I'd be punished, and, and so I had to kind of suppress it. But now it comes out as a teenager or as an adult. I can now explode. Uh, and so that, that theme of the more irrational the present suggests, again, the more dramatic the onset was uh, of survival. So organizing just the thought of psychotherapy around core beliefs they're a little bit different than Jeffrey Young's schema. I mean, his is a little bit more sophisticated. This is more of just a developmental hierarchy based upon, you know, when it's happening and how intensely the emotional encoding was to an infant. 
Mm-hmm. I often have told, I've often told people everything I know and feel about myself, I learned before I got to kindergarten uh, because there's such a strong imprint about the family of origin. Uh, yes. And even when, you know, even when teens come in or adults come in and say, well, it happened because I was bullied in school. Well, the question is, well, how'd your parents help you with that? And many times they didn't. They were betrayed there. They weren't, they were dismissed. And that's the real trauma that occurred. It's not, it's certainly the trauma of being bullied was bad enough, but the lack of the support from the, from the primary caregivers is really lack. where most of the weight is, yeah. which goes back to that attachment. Yeah, lack of protection and safety. Yeah, and connectedness, right? It's all about the connected safety and belonging and having knowing that we belong and deserve to belong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if that's not there, then we have to we have to modify and adapt. And yeah. sometimes uh, we do it at the time and it comes out in, in a, a unhealthy ways later on. Right. Right. So, you know, let's let's move to a little bit um about, you know, uh, the positive sides of EMDR, like adaptive, uh, that we are adaptive, uh, for instance, strong belief in that. Like I'm calling her by her first name. Dr. Shapiro has strong belief in that, as well as resourcing in the context of w- moving towards secure attachment. What are, are your thoughts um, as we get ready to wind down to, to end on, on some positive things that we... Sure. Well, I, I think it's important to realize that this positive neural network is always here. You know, sometimes it's math, sometimes it's anemic. The shift focus to build up what you already have, you just haven't paid attention to, is well worth strengthening. So bring up times when you have taken care of yourself, where you have gotten your needs met, and focus on that. Uh, and then AMDR-wise, we have a little bilateral activity as a tapping in or walking through to really enhance that. But it's well worth doing it. I think so often we have we have clients who come in and, and they're so focused on the negative that we, and, and we as clinicians are too focused on the negative that we minimize positive. Uh, and it is always there. And I often say, if we have to identify one of these two neural networks beliefs, the one that's still going to be there at the end is the most important, which is your positive belief, which is I'm okay as I am, I can get my needs met. And for those clients who can't access that because of the, the noise from the negative, it's well worth doing the resource around. Let's focus on this behavior. Uh, let's focus on how you got your needs met, how you're doing it now, and get in touch with the feelings and the emotions. And that's probably the most important part, not to make it just a cognitive exercise, but really how you feel when you get that net and how you position yourself, how you really live the, the experience uh, somatically and emotionally, not just cognitively. So I think it's an underserved area in the EMDR community. We need to spend more time on that than always just trauma focused. That uh, we do move everything to an adaptive resolution. Yes. Well, I think, you know, one of the things I remember too in our training process. Um, that when you brought Judith, I'm blanking on her last name right now, but um, as one of the facilitators, that, yeah, she yeah, said, Judith Daniels, Judith yeah, Daniels, thank was, you, was what the kids, child, child therapist, yeah, yeah, and she talked about you know needing to maybe do three more res- resourcing and you know sessions to every processing of a trauma, you know, for some of the kids that we were talking with her about and I was like oh wow 
you know, that's, that, that's definitely a different way of looking at this. Like you said, we're so trauma focused sometimes. Yeah. When I think with complex kids, they, they really have an underdeveloped positive network system. And if you think about processing as an integration of these two into one, we we're consolidating into one system. Clearly, if I have all this trauma, it can't be consolidated into this little network. So, yeah, I think a three to one ratio for those kids. We got to build that system up. We've got to, uh, you know, do it through modeling, through treatment, but through a whole, you know, very eclectic program as you have that models attachment and attunement, positive self-esteem throughout everything they're doing is really building that. And, and as the, the resourcing can piggyback onto the exercises they've done in different settings to strengthen those, how they did get their needs met and how they did connect with a, another person in the group or how they work with another um, facilitator in another exercise. It's just a, a whole eclectic program that can kind of continue to gain that momentum that they can then take out of the office. And real quick thing that helps that is once we've established it, go back and re-script how you could have used it just this morning in the, in the lunchroom, how you could use it this afternoon is a way to solidify it, not just stay in the present of I feel this way right now, but now how could you how would you have felt two hours ago if you had this? And uh -huh. actually have them rewrite their narrative, re-script and rehearse, um, which really is part of what we teach is extended resourcing, where you take whatever you've learned in the office and apply it just previously and apply it what's going to happen next. Uh -huh. And it helps solidify and operationalize the, the resource you're doing. So that's another way to continue that momentum. Yes. Yes. Very good. Yes. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm watching the clock and realizing we're running out of time. Um, is there anything else, you know, in, in looking at EMDR through an attachment lens and building stronger attachments and connections, um, secure ones? Um, is there anything else you would want to add? Well, I think the closing thing is EMDR is an elegant, nonverbal interpersonal form of psychotherapy and it's not a protocol or procedure a set of rules and structure it really is so nonverbal that i think if, if clinicians go in with that concept that we're really connecting in a nonverbal sensitive way because so much of the actual treatment as we talked about is occurring with very little verbal communication so i would tell any emdr clinician attune to your client and recognize that that's probably where you are most connected because when I'm when I'm doing processing once I've integrated it into my style I'm not in my left brain at all I'm in my right brain uh -huh. my hand is just secondary I'm not thinking about protocols and procedures it's total attunement and I think that's the goal for all the MDR clinicians is to get to that point where you've integrated it and now you own it so where you can just allow yourself to be more attuned to the client and so knowing that that's the, the goal and, and that's the treatment approach that it really is so elegant uh, allows people to be more attuned to the subtleties that are, are so important with attachment and attunement uh, and i think emdr is one of those forms of therapy that is probably can heighten that because we're not spending so much time talking about and giving them thoughts and suggestions it's like once we set this up we're letting your brain kind of work in our relationship you know as a guide as your as your attachment figure, we're kind of doing all of that simultaneously. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really beautiful summary. And I, I think it's true for for so many therapies. Again, you know, I, I just taught a week of TheraPlay, so it's forefront of my mind. But, you know, the activities are a means. They're just like a tool in terms of creating connection and amplifying positive affect. And uh, I think it, when we're first learning these things, it is kind of choppy. You know, it, just like with EMDR, you know, the that is uh, our tool. But once you get good at that, and you you know, that's very much a part of how you work. That's when the art form can then come. You know, I think it's a developmental process with a lot of therapies that you know at the beginning it's just so much. You know, am I doing this right? Am I following the steps? Is this you know? And as you get more comfortable, then I think we can get to to what you're talking about. Right, you know, using the metaphor of playing a piano, you know, you have to learn the scales and the techniques, and then you play notes, and then eventually you play music, and then yeah. if you really evolve, you become a, a master that really plays the the emotions that were intended in the music. And I think that's a progression that we hope that would be something EMDR clinicians can accomplish too. Yes, beautiful, lovely. Well, uh, Roy, thank you so much for your for your time today and I know you have a website and you do a lot of consulting and teaching and you want to share anything specific about where to find you? Well, our website is uh, emdrconsulting.com. Oh, that's easy we have, trainings, we have trainings all over the, the United States and Canada, Hawaii, Alaska, and we continue to grow and uh, I think it's uh, very user-friendly kind of approach to help clinicians integrate EMDR into their practice. I think our, our motto is really to help this integrate into what you do, not yes. have you do what we want you to do, but it really is very integratable. I love so that. I that's yeah. so true because that is what I have found in terms of you look at the, the practice and the organization and how EMDR can can best be used in that overall environment rather than, you know, here it is, you figure the rest out. <laughs> so that, I, I think that's really good because it looks different yeah. in different places sometimes. Yeah, well, we have to honor that everybody, you know, I often say, you're all, you're all concert musicians. You just never played the piano. So we're just gonna teach you another way to play music but you're going to own it and it's going to be yours uh, and use your style and to give you that flexibility to know that that's that's what this end game is is to evolve it to where you own it yes very yeah. good well thank yeah. you so much again you're very welcome it's, for it's your always time. fun to have a conversation and i appreciate the taking the time thank you all right bye-bye thank you for joining us for this edition of attachment theory in action Please follow our site at www.theknowledgecenteratchadock.com or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean for future podcasts as well as previous episodes too. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to theknowledgecenteratchadock.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.